0: Welcome to Red Couch, Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, and we are breaking down Manchester United's 3-1 defeat to Leicester City. Carl Mascarenas can't make it for this episode. He's got some much-needed family time. But to fill in, we have Peter Galindo, soccer writer for Sportsnet and host of Northern Football, a podcast that covers Canadian soccer. Peter, we worked for a little bit at Sportsnet. It's nice to have you on so we can do a bit of catching up and... Doing what we both love, uh, talking footy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thank you for having me on, Vivek, first of all. Uh, and it has been nice to catch up a little bit. And like I told you off the air, a little bit surprised that it took you until basically a few months ago to start a Man United centric podcast. But I'm glad you finally done it just so that you have an outlet to target all your rants now.
0: <laughs> I mean, hey, there's been plenty of them this season. Although, for the most part, you know, this has been an improvement. On years past, obviously United second in the league quarterfinal stage of the Europa got to the semis of the League Cup and here go out in the quarterfinals. It ends a 29 match unbeaten run for United away from home in domestic competitions. It had to come to an end at some point. And when you look at this fixture, it just seemed like they had run out of the uh, run out of gas coming into this international break?
1: You always see, especially now because of the pandemic and everything, you're always going to see a lot of, of people. And specifically, uh, one man who covers Man United and Carl Anka, who does a terrific job doing that for The Athletic, he always tweets every so often whenever players look knackered. He just tweets with the clapping emojis, the lads are knackered. Uh, and that was kind of the case today when you saw certain moments of that match because... My God, there were a lot of pedestrians at times in certain situations of that game, which uh, and I feel the majority of them were specifically for United in that central midfield area and probably was the story of the game in the end, right?
0: yeah, absolutely, and that that reflected in the starting lineups and what we saw in the beginning, we can get into that right now, United as expected in a four two three one, but changes to the lineup you had Alex Tellez coming in for. Luke Shaw, Nemanja Matic for Scott McTominay, Paul Pogba on the left side in for Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial coming in for Daniel James, and Donny van de Beek coming in for Bruno Fernandez. On the Leicester side of things, they had a bit of an advantage in the sense that they're coming off a week off. United coming off that tough game Thursday, gutting out that one nil win in Milan. Leicester with the week off, 3-1-4-2, that's been their go-to formation. Vardy and Iheanacho, I thought if there was anything that United were unprepared for based on their starting lineup, it's the fact that Leicester had Vardy and Iheanacho up front and United had no pace in the center of their defense to cope with that. When Eric Bailly was out for the Milan second leg, my assumption was that he was being preserved for this fixture. He's right. matched up well against Vardy before, and for whatever reason, we've seen rumors of a rift, for whatever reason, he was left out of the squad completely.
1: Yeah, and I'm right there with you. When you look at, typically speaking, when United has started without Eric Bai in the eleven, this is when, specifically in the marquee games, when United can probably, quote unquote, get away with seeding uh, the initiative. That's why you see that in these games, because you have Lindelof and Maguire who, when everything is in front of them, they can be very, very solid, right? And the overall defensive structure can be very solid because, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, mimic, but the midfield sometimes can't cope too well with more technically advanced midfields, which I think we saw it today. <laughs> um, and there were certain points in time where that was, you know, essentially exploited. Right. And again, You said this off the air, but it's very hard to utilize your pace when you don't move. And I think that was the story of the match.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And the other side of it, too, is when I look at the starting lineup, I look at Pogba, to me, was a big surprise. I didn't think he was ready to start a match yet. He gave the 45 minutes in the second half against Milan. I thought we might see something similar here against Leicester. So... If I'm Solskjaer and I know Pogba can give you 60, 65 minutes, I'm thinking, okay, we lack that creativity. We lack that ability to boss the game from deeper in the pitch. So let me put Pogba then alongside Fred or Matic so that you can control the ball in those areas and then let the forwards do their work. And by having Fred and Matic together... I think it in general when you see as an opponent those two pair together you almost have nothing to worry about from a united threat standpoint right like you can press you know they can't pass the ball mm-hmm. with great efficiency you can take that much more risk and to me that played right into lester's hands
1: well this is the thing and I've been saying this and I've been beating this drum since fred got to united When he made a name for himself at Shakhtar, he did this as a pure box-to-box midfielder who, typically speaking, would dictate games further up the pitch. And when you ask him to play deeper, especially against pressing teams that are super, super rapid, like Leicester, that's when you're asking for trouble, especially when you partner him next to Nemanja Matic, who, just as the years have gone by, has just become a shell of his former self, right? And because of his poor first touch at times... Because of sometimes his rushed decision-making in those deeper roles when he's under pressure, that's when he gets targeted. So Lester clearly honed in on this, not to mention Matic's lack of pace, not to mention, hey, if we drop one of our strikers into these sort of half spaces and, and the deeper areas, maybe we can draw Maguire out and then create a lane to run through, which we saw for, for one of the goals and the, the, the Tielemans school, of course. And then there were also a couple of other very close calls for Jamie Vardy as well in those situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just baffles me why Solskjaer keeps putting Fred in that situation against these teams. So if, if you don't have any other options, then fair enough. There's nothing you can really do. You just have to hope for the best and pray that nothing bad happens. But in these games where you've rotated to give certain guys a rest with the break coming up, You wonder why he didn't at least make changes earlier when it was very obvious, almost right from the start, that this is going to be a bit of an issue.
0: Let's get into the goal a little bit. So 24th minute, United are trying to play out of the back. And you can see Leicester know exactly what they're trying to do on those goal kicks. And they've got everyone positionally aware, understanding where the passing outlets might be. And as soon as Harry Maguire plays the ball to Fred, no. I am fearing the worst. <laughs> he takes the touch and I'm like, oh boy, this is not looking good. And then of course he tries to pass it back to Dean Henderson. Ianacho gets there first, smartly rounds Henderson instead of trying to shoot it first time. Mm-hmm. And then he's got an empty net, places it in. Lester lead 1-0. And that again just goes to when you have a side with that kind of pace, that ability to press. I mean, Liverpool at their best are so capable of this and oh, they yeah. can be they can be devastating with that press. And it, it it seemed like watching at times Liverpool at their best watching this Leicester side. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was almost like watching, I mean, Liverpool did kind of turn back the clock a bit in those Leipzig games in the Champions League, which was kind of, you know, at least if you're a Liverpool fan, refreshing to see. Everything you said is totally true. I'm going to just state that right now. Fred definitely committed the error that led to that goal. There's no doubt about it. I was just very surprised watching the replay, just how static everybody else was when that ball was played out for the goal kick. It was almost like no one knew the ball was even in play. Telles was far to the left. Of, of Maguire. You had Fred really the only one calling for the ball. Matich was just out in no man's land doing whatever it was he was doing. And it just made Lester's job so much easier. And I was, look obviously everybody's going to target Fred, rightfully so. It was a bad mistake. But sometimes, and I feel the English media is very guilty of this, when they have a narrative crafted any chance they have to rehash it, they're going to use it. But they should also look at everything else that transpired in that, look, at least Fred showed for the ball, which, I mean, was a bad mistake, but at least he showed for the ball and tried to get them out of trouble, which is really not what he does well, and tried to mm-hmm. do something, whereas everybody else was kind of like, oh, the ball's in play, I didn't know that, I'm just going to let these guys do their thing and just make Leicester's job so much easier.
0: And that's where, again, you mentioned Matich was nowhere to be seen. Again, that's where I'm like, you missed a trick by not having Pogba D because yes. you know that this is what Leicester is trying to do. We've seen several times this season where when Pogba is playing deeper and he has and I mean honestly though United play a 4-2-3-1 and when they put Pogba in that two, it's not like he's playing that deep. It's almost right. it's almost like it's a 4 then a 1 and then right. Pogba in front of that. Yes. And yeah. so I feel like especially against a team like Leicester where you would have had someone like Pogba who would have had the confidence to just hold on to the ball, to take his time, find the right pass, and sometimes just drive right through them. Right. And get into the, uh, get deeper, you know, get up the pitch and then find the right pass. That was completely lacking in this game. And, you know, the, the theme of CDMs making mistakes, yeah, absolutely. As you said, when you look at It in a vacuum and look at those mistakes that were committed, it's fully on those players. But when you look at the matchup with Leicester, there needed to be a better choice made in terms of being able to play out of those positions.
1: Yeah, and when you have Donny Vandebeek out there, which just reinforces your point so much more, he is much more influential when he is playing more advanced and has that freedom to roam across the pitch. And he actually had a pretty solid game out there today, specifically off the ball. I thought he did a really good job covering Telles whenever he would push up. But when you have Van De Beek out there, all the more reason to allow Pogba just to drop a bit deeper and, and, and help out. And there were times when he was doing that um, in, in both halves. But overall, that would have been the no-brainer. If you're not going to play Eric Bailly, if you're going to have Juan bissaka generally speaking, playing a bit deeper to help without those numerical advantages, if Telish is going to push up, thus freeing up that, that flank, then all the more reason for Pogba to kind of stand in that space and allow at least another outlet or someone with confidence on the ball to play out of that pressure. And worst case scenario, he could win a foul, get everybody further up the pitch, and then they're kind of away from danger. But, yeah, just completely baffling that, that that was even allowed to happen. And, obviously, it was a theme throughout the throughout the match,
0: really. United kind of get their equaliser out of nowhere because after a brief, you know, the first 10 minutes, I would say, no one had really taken the match by the scruff of the neck. And then Lester obviously, came into the match. They get the goal. United... We're trying to find a response but they really couldn't and like we almost saw in the Milan game it takes a bit of magic and Paul Pogba has the ball on the left side is able to body off the defender plays the ball across Van with the perfect dummy mm-hmm. and Greenwood runs onto it and Finds a goal for himself. For me, a, you know, a more than deserved goal. I feel like he's been playing well for a long stretch now. It just hasn't had goals to show for it. And so I, I couldn't have been happier to see him be the one to put it in the back of the net.
1: Yeah, he's he's had obviously that, that remarkable rise towards the end of last season. Look, was he outperforming his underlying numbers, absolutely he was. Like yeah. Some of those finishes were ridiculous. Like He should have never really got in. But you could see the confidence that came from being able to put a run of goals together. And mm-hmm. sadly for him, he was getting the same kind of chances because typically speaking, he's played on the wing. And even when he's at times been the number nine, he's kind of had the the tendency to go to the wings just based on what he has done previously. But he's had the same quality chances this year. They just haven't gone in for him. So it's almost like he's gone the complete other way. So it was it was good for him to get that goal. But also very intelligent movement from United off the ball. Very similar, almost like the, the antithesis of what happened for the first goal in that you had uh, Van de Beek, Martial, and Telish running towards the box, drawing defenders deeper into their area, which then freed up the run for Greenwood to just kind of run in. Van de Beek with the perfect dummy. And then he just knocked it into the net, pretty, you know, composed finish as well for him. It was, it was just a fantastic move, and I think almost showed really how much Paul Pogba has has grown, and, you know, you guys have talked about this on the show a lot, I know, but when he's been out there this season, it, it's almost like watching him back at Juventus again, and we kind of had a bit of a throwback in that Milan game when he went to the San Siro, that, you know, Eight ten times when he was in Italy and just bossing games there, and we saw moments of that too today, which you know was was kind of nice to see because I really, I mean, I love Paul Pogba as a player. So full disclosure, um, j- just to see him set up that chance kind of made me smile a little bit, just because you know even when he's still kind of trying to regain that rhythm after all these unfortunate injuries, he can still produce moments of magic like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's suck to that he missed the time that he had to miss because. He's proven over the course of the season, when he's on the pitch, when he's at his best, he's capable of producing these world-class match-defining moments time after time. I mean, several times on this season now, it's been nil-nil, Pogba finds something out. It makes something happen out of nothing and United lead. And, you know, maybe that's something that United fans and Ole needs to be wary of in saying, hey, the result's On occasion have not been reflective of the performance but hey that's what that's what you get world-class players in the team for to make that difference exactly we go into the second half and again united's defensive midfield just falls asleep 52nd minute tillemans picks up the ball no one decides to pick him up fred all all of a sudden realizes that oh tillemans is at at the edge of the box i should probably try and pick him up and before you know it tillemans fires away good shot into the bottom left corner, but just inexcusable defending from two midfielders who were supposed to protect the back four.
1: I mean, this was such a litany of errors. And remember (laughs) what I said at the beginning where, you know, Leicester tried to utilize their pace and kind of draw players out of position. This is exactly what happened, right? It started with... Tielemans drawing Matic out, which right away you could see that there was going to be trouble for United. Uh, and then when that happens, Iannaccio receives the ball. Maguire pushes up to close down Iannaccio. That frees up the lane. Now, to Lindelof's credit, he at least kind of moved over to to kind of fill in right. that, that gap. But then there's no one... In front of them, like no one in front of them to even challenge Yuri mm-hmm. Tielemans, which was the big issue. And then, as you said, Fred realized, oh, shoot, someone should get over there and kind of put a bit of pressure on here. But by then it was too late. And I mean, look, kudos to Lester for doing this. I mean, and, and realizing, OK, if we just kind of pull these guys out of position, given how lackadaisical they are in some of these situations, this might be our route to goal. And they did that very, very, I mean, the execution was flawless in my eyes. And from there, you know, you feel like Leicester, once they got that second goal, it was like, all right, that's it. We're, we're probably going to be good here. But, I mean, th- this situation happened again, like, what, seven, eight minutes later with, with Jamie Vardy with that miss? Yeah. Pretty much a similar situation again, off a throw-in, I believe it was. But very similar in how that broke down, too.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you, you expect after the 52nd-minute goal, United trailing again 2-1, that they're the ones who will respond. But Lester should have wrapped up the match then and there. because and, and this kind of highlighted the difference between the two the CDMs that we saw on show today where he is the one that plays the ball. And Vardy nicks it through Harry Maguire, is through on goal, and just happens to fire just wide of the near post. That's a striker who's out of form, only has one goal in 2021, nine times out of ten, with Vardy in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 mm-hmm. and 2017. Yeah. You were expecting that to be in the back of the net.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunate for him, but I guess in a way a let off for United too, because that was just, oh my God. Again, like literally five minutes after the goal, that happens.
0: 65th minute, let's get into this a little bit. This is where Ole says, I'm going to go all in, makes four changes at once. Matic, Pogba, Van de Beek, Telles all come off the pitch. Scott McTominay, Bruno Fernandes, Edinson Cavani, and Luke Shaw all come on. And this is something I talked about in the previous episode when we previewed this match. And seeing Solskjaer manage this season and the fixtures and everything, he has found pockets in games to do a bit of schedule management. Right, And I felt like he was going to do that in this fixture where, again, they're coming off. A, lot of, a fixture pile-up. They're coming off a tough match in Milan, having to travel back to play this one. And I th- think his hope for the first 60 minutes was, let's get through it, and then we'll try to win it in the final 30, or the final 60, if it goes to extra time after that. And so that equalizer was sort of a godsend, because I don't know if it was necessarily a deserved one for United. Right. But... He was probably thinking, okay, we've got the equalizer, we're going to get to the situation that I want. But even after the changes happened, yeah, there was more impetus, there was more drive from United, but there was nothing clinical, there was nothing that was truly cutting edge to create any guilt-edged opportunities.
1: Yeah, and you feel like Leicester's system kind of played into that just because they have the three at the back, they have the adequate midfield cover, the wingers drop back, and and obviously provide extra protection there. So everything's just in front of them. And that's pretty much what United was held to, was just shots from outside the box. There were a couple of, of chances inside, but they weren't really testing Schmeichel too much, which from their point of view is a bit disappointing. And you feel like, look, obviously, and, and you said it, I think Solskjaer just wanted to, to manage the team's fitness here, especially with uh, them coming off of all these games You know, every three, four days. You feel like just with Bruno Fernandes in there, had it been 1-1, that could have fixed a lot of problems because that's a player who will still drop back and help cover ground and press and, and put some pressure on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and will collect the ball from deep at times to try to get it further up the pitch and progress it there. But then, I mean, look, I guess in a way, you at that point, you just have to throw everything out there and see if you can get an equalizer. And in a way, that the subs made sense, but... Who came, like, who came off and who stayed on, and I don't think I really have to state specific names on this point, was really what confused me the most, just because, look, you have clear liabilities on the pitch. You have clear game breakers like Paul Pogba, and I understand he's just coming back and he's working his way back, but when you have an international break coming up, when uh, he did get 45 minutes in midweek, you feel like you can maybe push him a little bit further. It, it may really no sense in terms of which players mostly which players came off more so than who came on
0: and this goes back to the point that i was trying to make where if you have pogba and you only have him for so many minutes maximize those minutes that he's playing by letting him be on the pitch with bruno and so i would have much rather have seen again pogba in that CDM role alongside of matic or fred to ease up the congestion that they had and the difficulties they had in breaking out of the Leicester press and then also have Bruno ahead and have Van de Beek as an option to come off the bench and fill in for a Bruno later in the match. And so as opposed to trying to win it late, I think this was in hindsight, I mean, this was an opportunity to go and win it earlier on and then try to maybe hold on a bit later.
1: Yeah. And, I feel you, therefore, almost saw the downside of how Solskjaer has tried to deploy the team pretty much since he got Bruno Fernandes, in that if you don't get those world-class players to produce moments of brilliance, that is where you're going to see the team struggle, right? especially when they're playing from behind. Now, to their credit, they have come back and, and shown resilience in that way, but again, that's when it's worked, when they've produced those moments. And mm-hmm. today, Lester just said, "All right, if we just keep everything in front of us and limit those long shots, if one goes in, fair enough, fair play to them. But if we just keep everything in front of us, don't give up anything clear cut, then we should be fine." And they weren't
0: really. Now, seventy eighth minute, Lester did wrap it up. Scott McTominay commits a foul on the left side. Lester have a free kick. All Brighton sends it in to the far post. We can get into a little bit. I mean, I think it was a little too high for Henderson to try and claim. Mm-hmm. And I think the blame, for the most part, obviously, first got with the foul. And then he compounds it by not marking his man at the far post. Ianacho bullet header, goes in off the crossbar. To me, nothing Henderson could have done about that header. And yeah, you, you look at it. Each CDM played his role in conceding to Lester in this match.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was almost like the perfect ending in a way, if you want to call it perfect. I'm sure United <laughs> fans don't want to call it perfect, but it was almost like a you know the the triple threat, right? Like it started with Fred, and then it ends with with, with McTominay doing really you know everything possible to make sure, hey Lester, like here here's a free header at the back post. Um, it's just intriguing to me how. And, and I'm, I haven't really looked back on this. It, it just seems to be a trend for the most part, at least recently with United. When they're defending set pieces, they almost put everybody at the near post to try and win a near post header in the air. And then if that doesn't work and it gets to the back post and there's an opposition player there, it's almost certainly going to be a goal. And
0: It's because they've had so many issues conceding at the near post. Early that's on also in the true. Season. <laughs> yes,
1: that's actually true. So it's almost like, all right, now we're just focusing all our attention to the near post, and then we're just ignoring the back post again. Um, when, look, zonal marking, I understand people talk about it, and it's like, oh, you know, zonal marking doesn't work. It does. It's just when things break down, people like to blame it. It's just about where you position your players. And when you're putting pretty much everybody on one side of the pitch, I mean, it doesn't take... A coach with a uefa pro license to realize oh let's just put a couple guys at the back post and then if the ball gets knocked over there they have a pretty good chance to score and that's
0: exactly what happened i look at zonal marking similar to the way i look at playing out of the back in that people who criticize it criticize it because when it does go wrong for certain teams it looks horribly wrong yes it aesthetically, it looks like a disaster, right? And that comes down to bad execution. But if you just watch the teams that do a good job of it and the number of times they're successful, whether it's playing out of the back, whether it's marking zonally, then you see that, hey, it really comes down to proper execution, understanding your role, understanding your area, what you're responsible for. And, you know, certain teams, it, it definitely takes... Uh, a lot of work to reach that level of excellence, but you have to start somewhere.
1: Well, exactly, right? It it just goes back to putting in the effort, putting in the work on the training ground, making sure that every detail is covered. I understand it takes a lot of energy to do that. And when you're playing every three or four days, it's difficult to lock those down. Um, But I feel like when you're setting up a team, that has to be one of the first priorities, right, is set pieces. Because in my eyes, there's still an area that are very underutilized. Like, if, if you can execute a proper attacking set piece, you can you, – I mean, we, we've seen it with Brentford in the championship. Like, like they've pretty much relied heavily on set pieces, and, they're, and they may get promoted again. Now, obviously, they've come up short a couple of times, but the fact they're able to replenish that squad and then still finish in the same position – just goes to show you that when you have the right system in place and everything is is organized and players know what they're doing every single game in every situation, then that's the end result, right? You just have to put in the work to get the reward.
0: I mean, we've seen what Gareth Southgate has done with set pieces for England.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And that's a prime example. Yeah. So yeah, nacho scores that goal. Again, United, okay, they had, they had Bruno had a great free kick in the... 88th minute, solid sha- solid save by Casper Schmeichel, but other than that, there was really nothing that United can look to and say, "Yeah, we deserved a goal in that second half." They they didn't look like scoring at all. Leicester, to me, clearly the better side that advances. And looking ahead, you know, uh, this is a missed opportunity in some way for United because of the draw that came out. And Leicester will now play Southampton right. in the semi-finals, so a huge opportunity to get to the FA Cup final.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, no matter who would have won, it would have been the nine nil derby, right? So,
0: um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to Southampton fans who might be listening, but um, like, it, it really was a perfect chance to get to a final and, at the very least, uh, almost break that semi final hoodoo that Solskjaer's yeah. had, right? And look, I know a lot of people are going to be looking at yet another big game in a competition where they they slip up in a. I mean, if you want to call this a marquee match, which I think it is. I mean, a cup quarterfinal against a you know a team that's challenging for the top four, I'd say that's a marquee game. Um, and a team
0: that's won uh, a league title more recently than United.
1: There you go. I, I have no I,
0: arguments against you.
1: I mean, my God, I have to wrap <laughs> my head around that again. Jeez. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this would be a marquee game. And yet again, I feel the the anti-Soulshire Brigade is now going to be saying, well, look, this just shows that we don't have the coach in place who can get us those results in marquee games. But you also have to look at the other side, too, in that, which, which I kind of touched on to start the show, um, there's a reason why United has almost seeded the initiative and sat a bit deeper and tried to counterattack on teams. It's because when you have an incomplete eleven, because let's be honest, United, provided what happens in the summertime, who leaves and who stays, They might still need to upgrade at right wing, at striker, certainly in the heart of the midfield, and maybe another centre-back. Right, So that's a pretty significant chunk of your spine that you're missing from that team still. Um, Mm -hmm. So that means that you have to make concessions in a way, and I think Solskjaer has done that. But when it doesn't come off and when you don't get those world-class players to, once again, produce those moments of brilliance for you, This is what you end up getting in that a team who's more organized and has a clear system. And, you know, even though Leicester were missing the likes of James Madison today, um, they still have the quality to be able to execute that strategy properly, exploit weaknesses and then get the desired result.
0: On that note, let's hand out some awards for the players who, you know, they may have tried to make their mark in this match, but for some it worked out a little better than others. Leicester played so well. I, I feel like I, I got to show my due respect and start off with the noisy neighbor. Plenty of names that can probably stand out here. I feel like it's a bit of a toss-up between Ndidi and Yanacho. Obviously, the first goal Yanacho gets is, is a gift, but full credit to him for the header. And, and again, just overall, uh, over the course of the entire match, being heavily involved in Leicester's press plans and just running off and, you know, Playing in between the lines and just trying to, you know, throw as much chaos into the mix as possible. That's something you would love to see from United's front players a bit more. And so I probably shaded a bit to Iheanacho.
1: I'm going to go with Ndidi just because I understand that his job was made a bit easier based on who he was facing in United's midfield. But look, you still have to go out there and close down the space and recover the ball and get it to Leicester's difference makers, which I thought he did. Yet again, so many times he's done this over the years for Leicester very, very well. Mm-hmm. And once again, made the difference. And it kind of goes to show you the difference a player in that position can make when they can do that so, so well. Like imagine if United splurged on a player like Wilfred Ndidi, went into that heart of the midfield and did that exact same job. You'd see that team just dramatically improve just like that with just that one change, really, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair enough shout, and I think you've convinced me with your argument, Peter. So we can hand that one to Ndidi. Looking at the Beckham boot, the worst player on the pitch for United, it's hard to pick one. And yes. so <laughs> so I'm going to give it... You, you mentioned the heart of the midfield. I'm going to give it to Fred, Scott, and Matic. All three of them were woeful. All three of them had a part to play in each of the three goals that were conceded. And, you know, this is exactly what puts Ole in a tough spot where he'd love to get more out of them. And there's maybe been bits and pieces when you look at the whole season in terms of them being able to contribute uh, on an attacking front. But it's been few and far between. And in this match, they were clearly just overmatched.
1: Yeah, 100%. I'll agree with you on that. I'll go completely specific on this. (laughs) I will pick out Nemanja Matic just because, I mean, look, I mentioned Fred doesn't thrive in this role. We've seen it multiple times. He did at least try in some situations to help out, even though it didn't always come off that way. So, and look, I understand effort is the bare minimum that you can expect from a, from a professional athlete, but I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass just because that's really not what he should be doing. Matic has to be better. I'm just... I'm sorry. And and look, McTominay made... And Matic
0: is the one coming in fresh.
1: Well, exactly. So all the more reason why he should be a little more sharp, a little more with it to, in general. And he just wasn't. And that's what was so... It, it just made everybody's job so much harder across the pitch. So that's why, for me, I have to give it to Matic myself.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Let's wrap up with that Cantona collar, United's best player... I'm looking at Greenwood, I'm looking at Pogba. Kind of a toss up again. I'll probably shade it to Pogba because again, you know he he's proven the difference maker he can be for United on the pitch. I feel like if he's on the pitch with Bruno, that's good enough to make a seismic difference in the way this match plays out. And we just never saw that.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um, Pogba for me was, and look, there probably weren't too many candidates just in terms of who put together a complete game when they were out there. But Pogba for me, probably a no brainer creating chances. He was at times trying to fill that void that you pointed out, Vivek, in in kind of getting into those deeper areas, trying to help United play through Leicester's press, um, putting in a couple of, of pretty crucial defensive interventions and, trying to cycle the ball forward. Um, he's done that a lot over the last few months when he's been fit. And like I said, fantastic to see it from a United point of view. And for me, at least, as a, as a Pogba enthusiast, also very good to see as well.
0: As a United fan, I just hope he can stay healthy because it's going to be an important stretch coming up here after the international break. One quick thing I did want to touch on as we look ahead to the international break is England re- released their squad and at right back there was no place for Aaron one bisaka in terms of the right backs who were picked you're looking at reese james kieran Trippier, and kyle walker and the reason i find it a bit puzzling i mean all, first off how trent alexander arnold is not in the squad is beyond me because he's been the best available at that position the last couple of years the club form shouldn't dictate that and so for Aaron wan case, I look at the three defenders who were picked between James, Trippier, and Walker, and I see they all operate in the exact same manner. And so why wouldn't you want a player who isn't as capable on an attacking front, but is clearly the best defender from the country?
1: And this goes back to, I think, a big question that Southgate has in that they're trying to find that deep-lying player, much like United is, ironically, uh, that deep-lying player who can influence games in all facets. And I feel like an absence of that... They're trying to make up for a lack of creativity there with their fullbacks. Because you even look at the left-backs called up and Luke Shaw getting a much-deserved call-up, long time coming, fantastic this season, along with Ben Chilwell. You have fullbacks who are just all attack-minded for the most part, or at the very least, their calling card is influencing games in the final third. So if you want maybe a bit more balance and you have all this talent in more advanced midfield positions, uh, and I mean... Southgate's going to have his pick of the lot there. Why not pick a more defensive-minded fullback just as an emergency, just in case you need it? And and that's what really surprises me that he's not giving Lombasaka more of a call because, I mean, look, there's also a chance and we've seen reports that he might actually just not even decide to play for England and, and, and you know play for his native, I believe it's Congo. Yeah. Um, so if that happens, then the England setup loses probably their only solid defensive-minded fullback. And I say that with all due respect in the world, because he has gotten better in the final third as his United career has continued. But 110%, his best area of the pitch is around his box, closing down all that space, getting tackles in, recovering the ball, and then getting it to someone who can progress it up the pitch.
0: Yep. Man, Peter, it's been so much fun talking footy with you, just like the good old days at Sportsnet. Yes. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but how did you become a footy fan?
1: So I think it's not too dissimilar from everybody else who's in my situation. My dad immigrated to Canada from Peru. Obviously, footy is the big sport down there. It's a religion in South America. People literally live and die for it in some cases. So that's how I got into it at a young age. And then because my mom wasn't too into sports, that was pretty much what I gravitated towards and just started playing when I was five, six years old. I'd watch games with my dad and, and it didn't really matter where it was, whether it was, you know, going to the local Vancouver Whitecaps games, being from Vancouver, watching the premier league on TV or Syria or La Liga, whatever it happens to be. That's really how I got into it. And then just because I had, all that exposure to it, as I got older, I thought, okay, the the best sport I can play, which I, I think is giving myself a bit too much credit, is is soccer, is football.
0: No, I mean, we played together too. You're not giving yourself enough credit, Peter. You're, you're a very solid goalkeeper. Oh, well,
1: thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that, especially someone who saw me in action. Um, and then because of this, I, I knew the game the best. I figured, look, if I can't make it as a player, which th- that clearly didn't work out, let's cover it and you know be a journalist in the game and that's essentially what i settled into and honestly have no regrets since then
0: hey you you do an awesome job at it as well honestly like coming to sportsnet i didn't know you before that and reading your work after that you you learn so much you cover the game so well you get into the intricacies of it so for those of you out there, remember, you can check out his work at Sportsnet. He's hosting Northern Football, a podcast that co- covers Canadian soccer, so you can stay on top of everything that's happening in Canadian soccer with that. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself and Peter for this episode, Thank you for listening to Red Couch Mix.